I'm Marcus Smith, and this is Constant Wonder. This month of December on Constant Wonder, we've been on a journey called Advent. Our podcast's Advent calendar has been a series of daily episodes beginning on the 1st and leading all the way forward to the 25th. We've been welcoming special guests who have been sharing with us the wonder and the awe that are central to the spirit of this season. It's our way of spreading not only good cheer, but also peace, goodwill, and, of course, awe before all creation. It's December 21st. The astronomical moment in the northern hemisphere we call the winter solstice always lands in the last week of Advent. Light that has been slipping away since late June, imperceptibly at first, but then seeming to accelerate round about October, that dwindling daylight reaches its nadir. If you happen to live in Seattle, your shortest day brings only 8 hours, 25 minutes, and 25 seconds of sunlight. Then on the next day, you add a second. You see, after the solstice, which means stopping of the sun, things pick up again. Gradually at first, and then more and more rapidly. The cold of winter will persist for many weeks, but at least we've rounded the bend when it comes to light. That returning light tells us that the promise of new life will be fulfilled. To consider the convergence of the winter solstice with the season of Advent, we turn to one of Constant Wonder's old friends, Ben Abbott, a professor of plant and wildlife sciences here at BYU, for an essay that he wrote for us a few years back. It's one that remains timely whenever the light seems most remote in our lives. Though it was not the season of Christ's birth, we celebrate Christmas near the winter solstice. In the northern hemisphere where this tradition began, the solstice is the darkest and coldest time of the year. As an ecologist, I can't speak to the historical origins of this tradition, but I can describe what causes seasonal fluctuation in light and heat and what this means for the Earth system. The Earth rotates on an axis that is tilted about 23 degrees to one side. This tilt was set during the Earth's creation billions of years ago. In the early solar system, planetesimals, the unorganized bits of dust rocks and other material, coalesced under the force of gravity. An imbalance in the collisions tipped the growing planet a few degrees on its side. The Earth got a final push from an astronomical body about the size of Mars that slammed into its surface four and a half billion years ago. The impact transferred so much energy into the Earth that its surface melted into a global sea of magma and a huge geyser of material was ejected into space. This debris eventually glommed together into our moon. The weight of the moon stopped the tipping of the Earth and stabilized the wobbles of its axis, a sort of gravitational hula hoop. The Earth's tilt creates seasonal changes in the amount of sunlight reaching its surface as we revolve around the sun. The passionless geometry of this tilted sphere creates one of the only fair things about our mortal existence. Whatever latitude we live at, each of us receives the same duration of illumination from the sun, about 4,400 hours each year. Whether you live on the North or South Pole, where the sun rises and sets, 
only once a year? Or on the equator, where the length of each day is the same? Half the year, the sun is up, half it is down. Though this annual allotment of sunshine is completely fair, in a Solomon sort of way, the tilt of the Earth creates seasons, pulses of energy that ripple through all life on Earth. When the northern hemisphere is tilted toward the sun, it receives more light and heat, a condition called summer. Longer periods of light stimulate the photosynthesizers, the land plants and aquatic algae that harvest carbon from the atmosphere and release oxygen. The earth breathes in. The extra heat melts snow and ice, providing water for ecosystems and people and exposing habitat. This change triggers migrations for insects, fish, mammals, and birds, some of which travel halfway around the world to find a place to breed or feed. The early sunrise makes it a little easier to get out of bed for us humans, whose modern schedules don't change much with the seasons. But after the summer solstice, the northern hemisphere turns away from the sun. The days shorten and the temperature drops. Without as much sunlight, the photosynthesizers can't keep up with the consumers and decomposers who use oxygen and return a portion of the plant's carbon to the atmosphere. The earth breathes out. I have a harder time getting out of bed, and many people experience seasonal depression and somber states of mind. This darkening lasts half the year. From June to December, each day is darker than the last. At the moment that our hemisphere is farthest from the source of energy and light that sustains all life on Earth, we celebrate Christ's birth. As a Christian, the timing of this remembrance seems important. Many scriptures liken our Savior to light. Some go as far to say that he is light, a being in whom there is no darkness at all. But what defines Christ for me and what symbolizes my relationship with him is not the purity or intensity of his light. It is the location and timing of his light, the where and when. John emphasized this when he first introduced the Savior. Christ is not only the light of the world, he is the light that shineth in darkness. There are plenty of bright things in the universe. Until it swells and collapses some five billion years from now, our sun will never stop shining. Despite this constancy, the sun is often inaccessible to us individually. And sometimes, like at the winter solstice, it is distant from many of us at the same time. Apparently, it is not enough to be bright. It is not even enough to be constant. Zacharias prophesied of John the Baptist, who was a preparer and a type of our Savior. He said, Thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Christ doesn't just broadcast light randomly into the universe like the celestial spheres I described before. 
What is so remarkable about the love of our Savior is the way he brings light to us. He delivers it personally, privately, quietly. And then he stays. Even when we sit in darkness on the far side of a planet, even when it has been so long that we can't remember what light feels like, he is there with us in the darkness. I can't speak for you, but I find myself in darkness often. A friend diagnosed with cancer, a child unsure of a parent's love or the love of God, a refugee without home or friends, a couple that hasn't touched for months or years, a future that seems to hold no savor or anticipation, the disappointment of letting someone down who depends on you. Even in my ecological research, I am sometimes confronted with overwhelming sadness and darkness. Pollution in our air, water, and soil kills at least 12 million people every year, 20 times more than all homicides and wars combined. Yet there still isn't agreement or political will to abandon the dirty fossil fuels that are primarily responsible for this suffering. In the face of all this darkness, it is easy to hate and resent the shadow. Indeed, this allergy to the dark is rooted in an important instinct. As children of the light, we are called to prevent or heal the suffering of needless artificial darkness with all our force and resources. But some of the darkness we experience serves a purpose, or it it can if we see it in the right light. One of the great paradoxes or miracles of our earthly existence is that darkness provides a contrast without which the light would mean nothing. In the modern world, we seem to have forgotten this distinction. We use our technology to banish all darkness, harmful and good. Our lust for constant light, even in times of natural darkness, has driven us to exploit all sources of energy no matter the personal or communal cost. The fossil fuels that we extract from the earth are metamorphosed light that was captured by plants hundreds of millions of years ago. Rather than waiting for the natural light to return in the morning or spring, we've harnessed this power to flood the world with artificial light. The pressure to be ever-moving and ever-connected pollutes our air, disrupts our climate, and disturbs our sleeping patterns as we worship our screens until the moment before losing consciousness. Ironically, excess artificial light now obscures God's miracle of stars in the night sky for most people on Earth. At least during our mortal existence, Christ doesn't erase the darkness around and within us, though he can transform it when we let him. If we hope to follow the Savior's path, we must not fear the dark. Christ asks us to examine the sources of fear and hatred within ourselves, our internal darkness, and to be vessels of his love for those who feel far from it. Celebrating Christ in the darkest days of the year reminds us that he descended below all things in that he comprehended all things, that he might be in all and through all things the light of truth, as we learn in modern LDS scripture. On a personal level, Christ coming at the time of greatest darkness and cold is a reminder that our greatest suffering and disappointments can prepare us for our deepest and most lasting peace. 
At this time of light in the dark, let us not forget Peter's promise that Christ is a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Ben Abbott, a professor of plant and wildlife sciences here at Brigham Young University. Ben featured prominently in our episode about the vast inland body of water called Utah Lake, Season 5, Episode 8 of Constant Wonder, which you can find along with all the days of our Advent series at byuradio.org, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Day 21 about the winter solstice was produced by Eric Schultzka with help from Camden Lamb. Tomorrow in this series, a conversation about the infamous biblical phrase, no room in the inn. Thanks for joining with us to mark the days of Advent. I'm Marcus Smith. Constant Wonder is a production of BYU Radio.